Please remember that past performance may not be indicative of future results. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, or product, including the investments and or investment strategies recommended or undertaken by Denuso Index Advisors, or any non-investment-related content made reference to directly or indirectly during this radio program will be profitable, equal any corresponding indicated historical performance level, be suitable for your portfolio or individual situation, or prove successful. Moreover, you should not assume that any such discussion serves as the receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from Denuso Index Advisors. To the extent that a listener has any questions regarding the applicability of any specific issue to his or her individual situation, he or she is encouraged to consult with the professional advisor of his or her choosing. Denuso Index Advisors is neither a law firm nor a certified public accounting firm, and no portion of the program content should be construed as legal or accounting advice. A copy of the Denuso Index Advisors' current written disclosure statement discussing our advisory services and fees is available upon request. This is the Denuso Index Advisors Show on FM News Talk 1047. Here's your host, founder and president of Denuso Index Advisors, Senior Wealth Manager PJ Denuso. Happy weekend, Pittsburgh, and to all of our listeners. This is the Denuso Index Show, heard here on FM News Talk 104.7 and across the USA on iHeartRadio. Listen every Sunday at 3.30 p.m. as we discuss our experiences since 1989 regarding indexing and investments, retirement income planning, timely investor topics, what's new from our information-packed website at denuso.com, and our DIA weekly takeaways. I'm your host, PJ Denuso, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. Let's get started. First up, we have on our show schedule today, our feature topics throughout the show are going to be 401k observations, DIA in the news, IPO winners and losers featuring LinkedIn and Facebook, frozen investments, concentrated positions, and asset allocation. The Denuso Index Show is hosted by Denuso Index Advisors, Pittsburgh's oldest and largest all-DFA indexing firm since 1989. To learn more information or to contact us, visit our website at denuso.com. Schedule an online go-to meeting or phone conference with Carl Hartman, Senior Wealth Manager at 724-728-6564. Yeah, the first thing up this week in investor news, we're always looking for pieces that relate to the most uh, listeners in our audience and that are helpful to be able to uh, give you some takeaways from listening to our show on a weekly basis. And the first one that caught our attention was what we refer to as a failed 401k experiment. A friend of mine, uh, Mr. Weston Wellington from DFA in Santa Monica, California, DFA's headquarters for Dimensional Fund Advisors, uh, wrote a nice piece, and he was citing an experience that a gentleman had, and we'll just refer to him as Mr. N. Uh, Joe N. is a bright guy. Over the course of a lengthy career, the former Fortune executive editor had won numerous awards for his excellence in business journalism and recently co-authored a penetrating analysis of the financial crisis. He now hangs his hat at a major New York City newspaper covering a wide range of business-related topics. Mr. N. also stands out for his willingness to discuss the sorry state of his personal finances, which is a startling admission for a world-class financial journalist. With his 60th birthday approaching, he recently revealed to his readers that his 401k was quote-unquote in tatters. Some of the culprits are familiar. A concentrated strategy 
during the technology boom, put a huge dent in his portfolio. And a divorce several years later inflicted similar damage. A third source of difficulty, which is harder to fathom, is his decision to raid his 401k to fund a home remodeling project. Such behavior strikes us, the sort of short-term thinking journalists are so quick to condemn in their own executive suites. Mr. N acknowledges that good financial advisors provide sound advice regarding discipline and diversification, but he does not appear to have consulted one himself. Mr. N found a sympathetic ear in Teresa Gillarducci, a behavioral economist at the New York School. She was not the least bit surprised by his experience. Most humans, in her view, have neither the skill nor the emotional stability to be successful investors. She finds the entire concept of a participant-driven 401k plan a quote-unquote failed experiment. And what caught, our, what caught our attention on this article was what we've talked about for a long time, and it still it needs to resonate with a lot of investors, is that when the investment baton and responsibility was handed off over the last 20 or 30 years from the historic defined benefit plans, DB, over to defined contribution plans, DC plans, uh, more commonly you would recognize these as 401ks, 403bs, etc., the average individual investor has not recognized that they are literally their own, their family's chief investment officer. The same responsibilities, pressures, and anxieties that would go in hand-in-hand with any chief investment officer for a major foundation, an endowment, a major Taft-Hartley fund, universities, etc., what are making decisions on asset allocation, diversification, investments. Are we going to go index, active, rebalancing? How about safe rates of withdrawals, uh, uh, taxes, all, all the various variables in the portfolio? Initials, individuals at least need to be cognizant of the challenges facing them and recognize that they are their own family's chief investment officer. And in a lot of perspectives, we may look at it that there's actually more pressure being responsible for other family members, including your children and your spouse and taking care of yourself through retirement. Since 1989, Denuso Index Advisors has been serving clients' financial needs as a fee-only wealth manager under a fiduciary standard. We are Pittsburgh's oldest and largest dimensional fund advisor, all DFA index, portfolio manager, and retirement income planning firm. Visit us on our website, denuso.com, or call us at 724-728-6564. Our next next section we refer to as DIA in the news, Denuso Index Advisors in the news. Uh, We'd like to be able to report to every week on this, but we're not quite fortunate enough to get a uh, major quote or interview on a weekly basis. But we did recently get uh, receive some recognition in the number one business weekly uh, paper in Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Business Times. And they came out with their annual ranking here a, a couple of weeks ago, in which they ranked the largest Pittsburgh area regional money managers. They list the top 20 managers in Pittsburgh, and a lot of these firms have been in business for dozens, if not, in some cases, uh, over 50 years, a number of institutional firms as well that don't deal with everyday retail investors, uh, with regular retail investors. But we uh, were on the just missed the list, which was off to the side, so we didn't quite make it to the top 20, but we are on the radar screen. And the thing that catches our attention that we um, like to make a point of, that we specialize in efficient market theory indexing in plain English, 
and we are the largest, oldest indexing, pure indexing firm in the city of Pittsburgh. And again, we do specialize with Dimensional Fund Advisors, DFA, which we'll be talking about a lot more in future shows to come. You are listening to the Denuso Index Show, hosted by P.J. Denuso, President, Founder, and Chief Investment Officer of Denuso Index Advisors. The investment focus of our practice since 1989 has been fee-only indexing, specializing in Dimensional Fund Advisors, DFA, Institutional Index Mutual Funds, and Retirement Income Planning. Our home office is located in Beaver, Pennsylvania, and we have satellite offices at 555 Grant Street, Pittsburgh, Squirrel Hill, and off of Route 28 in Natrona Heights. Visit us on our website, denuso.com, or call us at 724-728-6564. Our next segment that we referred to earlier is what we we have labeled what's new, quote-unquote, on our website at denuso.com. And what we like to do is scour the national publications looking for current trends, current themes. We've obviously been writing a lot about the euro crisis and ongoing, uh, what everybody's referred to as kicking the can down the road. And uh, we just sent out a major paper that I wrote this past weekend, actually, to clients regarding the heightened situation in Spain. But we, what caught our attention here is we like to share with listeners the, in relationship to the number of phone calls we're receiving from clients, prospective clients, firms that we consult with, a ton of phone calls regarding Facebook. So we like to share an article that we uh, wrote and sent out to clients uh, about a week, week and a half ago. Uh, the IPO winners and losers. The past year will be remembered for two remarkable social media initial public offerings, IPOs. LinkedIn, which many of you are familiar with, last year in May, and Facebook, which has uh, been on every media source uh, incessantly, in May of this year. Although the dates were the same, May 19th of last year and May 19th of this year, the two offerings went very differently. A lot of people may have forgotten about it, but LinkedIn's share price roughly doubled immediately after the shares were purchased from $45 initial IPO price to close at over $94 the first day. That offering was widely described in the media and papers as a great success, which we're going to discuss. Facebook shares, meanwhile, were priced at $38 and finished in a crazy frenetic first day of trading at roughly the IPO price, a little bit over $38, $38.23. You've seen the headlines ad nauseum. News reports have declared it an epic failure. So here's the question. Which IPO was actually successful and which was a failure? The media has had no trouble answering that question. But if you look at the situation from the standpoint of the company bringing shares to the public and what other standpoint really matters, then you come to exactly the opposite conclusion. The LinkedIn IPO would have to be judged as a spectacular failure, while Facebook's IPO represents an actual rare case and rare example of a success. To see why, let's look at the numbers. In all, LinkedIn raised over $350 million on over 7 million shares. Based on what investors were willing to pay on that first day of trading, the company actually had the opportunity to sell those shares to willing buyers at closer to $95 a share and raising a total of over $700 million. The extra $350 million that they left on the table that first day could have been used to fuel their growth, 
develop new strategies, reach into new markets, purchase competing organizations, or a million other uses. So where did that extra $350 million go? To friends of IPO underwriters, J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, who were given a sweet chance to buy at half what the market wanted to pay for the shares. Meanwhile, Facebook, the company, got full price for the shares it sold to the public. That is, the IPO price turned out to be surprisingly close to what the market as a whole wanted to pay for shares for a social media company. In all, the company raised a staggering $16 billion to build or enhance its franchise and acquire competitors. The insiders who got favored access to the shares got virtually nothing when they tried to flip them on the open market in stark contrast to the LinkedIn situation previously described. These facts represent more than just a way to look really smart the next time that you talk with your friends about investment markets. There's a serious issue buried in these routine mispricings. And in a way, the media has been trained to think about and cover initial public offerings IPOs. The brokerage companies that underwrite these IPOs are paid handsomely for selling a company's first publicly traded shares to the investment world. They get paid roughly 7.5% of the money that they raise, or a cool $1.3 billion on these two IPO deals alone. The firm is supposed to be working purely for the benefit of the company whose shares it is selling, and the only goal that makes sense is to raise as much money as possible for that company so its executives can deploy the capital and grow that business and enhance shareholder value. But in fact, as we could probably imagine in the real world, where we happen to live in, the brokerage underwriters have actually made a practice of deliberately undervaluing shares, when they bring them to market. Then they dole out the underpriced IPO shares to their best customers who flip them for an immediate profit. Some of the big customers are themselves the people who make decisions about which company will be given the lucrative contract to sell their own company's shares in the open market. If this looks to you like a way that could possibly be viewed as a bribe to bring you to business, then you're listening carefully and correctly. The difference between the initial public share price and a higher price you see in a lot of IPOs directly benefits the brokerage firm itself. These deliberate underprices have become a clever, perfectly legal way for the brokerage firm to reward the very customers who will, or someday, pay these enormous fees for their own IPO. In legal terms, this is a huge conflict of interest, and it's interesting that our media reports favorably with breath- breathtaking excitement whenever large institutions visibly take advantage of firms they're supposedly working with to the tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars. And the media gives us an endless stream of negative headlines in cases like Facebook, where, believe it or not, apparently by accident, the brokerage underwriters did their job well. This topic stood out to us again because we received so much uh, inquiry, uh, emails, phone calls. Uh, it's, it's come up constantly in face-to-face client reviews that we have on a daily basis. And to us, we'd look at this as a reflection also as an ancillary thought to efficient market theory. We talk a lot about how efficient the market is, and although it's not a surprise that brokerage firms would want to do what they can to garner more business and revenues and to be able to help their existing clients, but there is, we believe, an efficient market theory factor as well. The best, smartest, brightest people on earth, and make no doubt about it, at the brokerage firms that I mentioned, extraordinarily intelligent individuals in all matters financial with tremendous resources standing behind them, and yet the wide range of pricing that happens when IPOs hit the market. Uh, To us, again, it just looks like how difficult and how challenging it is, 
And as we refer to the market, uh, often as you'll hear us refer to the market as Mr. Market, uh, Mr. Market, in another case, teaching a lot of people a very valuable lesson. The Denuso Index Show is hosted by Denuso Index Advisors, Pittsburgh's oldest and largest all-DFA indexing firm since 1989. To learn more information or to contact us, visit our website at denuso.com. Schedule an online go-to meeting or phone conference with Carl Hartman, Senior Wealth Manager at 724-728-6564. In our next slot, we refer to as real life, real solutions, and it's hopefully uh, will be included in one of our takeaways. It'll provide some value for tuning into our radio show on a weekly basis here at 3.30 every Sunday at 104.7 News Talk FM. The two that stand out that we've run into recently that we thought would be of interest to share with the audience would be what we what we uh, titled generically frozen investments, and then secondarily, the other topic we'll, we'll touch on will be concentrated positions. Frozen investments are just a broad title, uh, non-scientific title, that we would label investments that individuals that we come into contact with, whether they're prospective clients or we're providing consulting work, uh, we're we're trying to manage assets for them and help them, would be something that's restricted in their portfolio. And very often the rule would be that they do not know that they have these restricted assets in their portfolio. There may be back-end loads, surrender charges, redemption fees. We were actually doing a consulting, uh, consulting work here recently with someone that needed uh, help, financial help and assistance in retirement planning, and they had actually been placed in an investment by their broker that literally could not be transferred. It was structured in such a way that it basically was going to stay with the original provider, product provider, given the way the contract was structured. If certain things happen in the market, yes, they could have been fortunate enough, but this company's basically getting a check uh, ad infinitum for the rest of this individual's life. And the individual was quite, quite surprised. Uh, people come into our office or we're out in the road you know, meeting with people all over the uh, southwestern Pennsylvania area sitting at the kitchen table. And they're surprised to say, you know, you mean if I want to get out of this investment, it's going to cost me 5%? Or you mean there's surrender charges? And it's not so much whether the surrender charge or redemption fee or back-end load, what it is exactly. But as we say very often, individuals in Pittsburgh, not everyone may have a Ph.D., but uh, I've done a good bit of traveling across this fine country of ours. And I do truly believe that people in Pittsburgh have a Ph.D. in common sense, very, very high-level common sense in Pittsburgh. So you look at these and say, geez, I didn't know, you know, PJ is going to cost me $2,000, thousand, dollars uh, $10,000 to get out of the in- these investments. I thought I just bought them and I could sell them anytime. There would not be any restrictions. That would harken back to the case for what our recommendations would be. And we want our show to be of value whether someone listening in has $5,000 or $5 million. So let's take the $5,000 individual. You just got out of college. You're working for an organization. You've landed a job. They talk to you about their 401k plan, uh, et cetera. You're putting some money in there. You're maxing that out. If you do decide, you say, hey, I want to set up. I got some extra money. I want to set up an extra account on the side. You set up. You say you have, whether it's $2,000, $5,000, whatever you have. And with an amount like that, you can actually do a very good job. You can build a miniature institutional portfolio, if you will, a Jack Bogle type portfolio, Jack Bogle from Vanguard Group. 
You can go to Vanguard, decide how much you want to have in stocks and how much you want to have in bonds. And on the stock side, you could purchase the total stock market index. No front-end load, no back-end load, no 12B1 fees. And on the bond side, you could purchase the total bond market index. If you wanted to really get sexy, you could have three asset classes, three investments in your portfolio. The U.S. total stock market index, the international total stock market index, and then the bond index. So again, you could, you could receive and have excellent diversification even in a smaller portfolio. In concentrated positions, we will touch on this one later, but in concentrated positions, just a constant reminder, it would seem to be intuitive, but we run into this constantly with individuals having an extraordinarily excessive amount percentage-wise in their portfolio in one individual security. Maybe the company they formerly worked for, it may have been a stock that had treated them well over time that they had added um, capital to. But in your individual portfolio, again, we purchase just institutional index funds. But if you did own individual stocks, you would want to have a maximum 5% position in your stocks or a maximum 10% very much as the top limit. So if you had 10 individual stocks, you'd want them to be in 10 different sectors in your portfolio to provide you at least with a base level of diversification. Since 1989, Denuso Index Advisors has been serving clients' financial needs as a fee-only wealth manager under a fiduciary standard. We are Pittsburgh's oldest and largest dimensional fund advisor, all DFA index, portfolio manager, and retirement income planning firm. Visit us on our website, denuso.com, or call us at 724-728-6564. You know, on our wrap-up topic, on our topic and takeaway, we want to give our listeners something to take away and uh, help them have some individual portfolio success uh, in, in real life, whether they're engaging the services of a financial advisor, wealth manager, or they're self-directed, do-it-yourselfers, managing their own portfolio. And you'll hear us talk about this a lot. And of folks who have been clients of ours for years, uh, I don't want to say unfortunately, but if you've been a client for 10, 15 years longer than that, you've heard us talk about asset allocation over and over and over. And there are so many mistakes made around asset allocation. There's two ways to approach how much money you want to allocate in your portfolio towards stocks and towards bonds. Unfortunately, asset allocation is sort of a fancy word for just how much you're going to place in stocks and how much in bonds. The largest pension funds, the largest institutions, the largest endowments, that is the first decision that they make in an investment policy committee meeting. How much, what percentage of stocks and what percentage of bonds. Now, in our portfolios, for example, for retired individuals, we average three different asset allocations, a very conservative portfolio for their fixed core expenses, food, clothing, shelter, and transportation. In retirement, we may have 20 or 25% in stocks and then 75 or 80% in bonds. For their risk tolerance, the additional expenses that they have on a monthly basis, we may have a portfolio with 40% in stocks, usually 50 maximum, but the average for clients who retire in their 60s is 40% at our firm. And then if clients have legacy assets, which they do often have, they've got their expenses taken care of, they would have legacy assets at the, at the top of their money stack. We would allocate those assets into anywhere from a 70 to 100% stock portfolio on average because those are often intergenerational. The beneficiaries and heirs in those policies are often children, grandchildren, charities, 
and individuals have a very long time horizon and can afford to have 100% in stocks or somewhere north of 70%, depending on their situation. So when you sit down and look at asset allocation, your big decision when you come to the door, you've got two doors to go through. One on one side says strategic asset allocation. One on the other side says tactical asset allocation. Again, fancy words for am I going to set my asset allocation and maintain it, or am I going to start off with an asset allocation, and if the market looks better, I'm going to increase my exposure to stocks. If I think the market looks worse, I'm going to decrease my exposure to stocks. Our recommendation would be to set your asset allocation initially at a strategic level after doing your due diligence and homework, and that is going to provide long-term success. Again, we want to thank you for tuning in today. This is PJ Denuso and my son, Mike Denuso, who without him, I wouldn't be able to do this. I am a technological Neanderthal. He handles you know, all the technology, and he makes this happen. Uh, thank Jay, our, pro, our, uh, our show producer. And again, we'll look forward to you tuning in next week to talk more about how we can potentially provide helpful investment advice to you. Please remember that past performance may not be indicative of future results. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, or product, including the investments and or investment strategies recommended or undertaken by Denuso Index Advisors, or any non-investment-related content made reference to directly or indirectly during this radio program will be profitable, equal any corresponding indicated historical performance level, be suitable for your portfolio or individual situation, or prove successful. Moreover, you should not assume that any such discussions serves as the receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from Denuso Index Advisors. To the extent that a listener has any questions regarding the applicability of any specific issue to his or her individual situation, he or she is encouraged to consult with a professional advisor of his or her choosing. Denuso Index Advisors is neither a law firm nor a certified public accounting firm, and no portion of the program content should be construed as legal or accounting advice. A copy of the Denuso Index Advisors' current written disclosure statement discussing our advisory services and fees is available upon request.